Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, June 17th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news and answer a question in the mailbag about movies that grew on us. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Writers, Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. So the, the news is still kind of going slow. Uh, I'm not sure. What do you think this is, Chris? Like, is this just because we're coming off E3 and there was that week of E3? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's the summer. Everyone's, everyone's like just winding down. It'll, it'll pick up. I think we'll have a lull and then we have, you know, Comic-Con next month and then things will pick up again and then we'll be in award season, believe it or not. So we'll, we'll be busy before we start again. Yeah. What's that? The discourse will start again. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of award season, our first news story is that Apple plans on releasing not one, not two, not three, but six movies that, uh, each year for Oscar consideration. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yeah. So uh, as most of us know, Amazon's, I mean, um, Netflix sort of uh, kicked down the door recently and found themselves winning Oscars. Uh, Their film Roma won Best Foreign Film. Um, The director, Alfonso Cuaron, won Best Director. And that's that was a big deal. You know, there was a time a few years ago where it seemed almost impossible that anything from Netflix could win Oscar. Um, But that's, you know, that's the future. Streaming is becoming more and more prevalent. And now that Netflix is winning Oscars, other people want in on this, Uh, like Apple, for instance. Apple uh, is going to launch their own streaming service soon. It's called Apple TV Plus. And apparently they, too, uh, have their eyes set on Oscars. So um, according to a source speaking to the New York Post, they have... Uh, quote six they're playing to finance finance quote six small budget movies a year with an eye towards stories that could win academy awards uh you know um it's also worth noting that uh apple has a deal with um a24 the the indie studio that a lot of people are fans of but this is something separate than that so these aren't actually the a24 movies this is something completely different that apple is hoping to release um yearly six six smallish 
indie films that they hope will get Oscar attention, which also means they have to screen these films in theaters for at least a week because that's the uh, the rule. Now, when this news was announced in our Slack channel, Chris, you 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 uh, typed out a groan in, in our Slack channel. So uh, why why are you not a fan of this? Because I feel like more like smaller budget like art house films that are you know aiming higher means that we're potentially getting more good movies, right? Right. I mean, I'm not entirely against it. I just also, you know, based on that presentation Apple did with their streaming service, I don't think they know what they're doing with their original content yet. I have to wait and see how... Uh, you know how how their original stuff turns out. If it's if it ends up being good, uh, I'll I'll be a little more receptive to this idea. But based on that presentation they did, I uh, I'm uh, hesitant to get too excited. Yeah, I can definitely see how there would be a skepticism towards you know Apple's approach to original content. Uh, but let's move on from Apple to Disney and let's talk about uh, Disney Pixar. They they have Toy Story four coming out which is going to be the first Pixar movie in decades to not feature an animated short in front of it. HD, what do we know? Uh, yeah, so um, Pixar has confirmed that there will be no animated short preceding Toy Story 4 when it uh, airs in theaters. This will be the first time in 23 years that there will be no animated short in front of a Pixar film since Jerry's Game uh, kicked off the trend back in 1998 in front of A Bug's Life. And this is kind of a long-held tradition for Pixar that has it's used to uh, show animated shorts from either rising filmmakers or to experiment with new technology. And often these shorts will end up winning uh, an Oscar, as in last year's uh, Oscar-winning short, Bow, which was in front of Incredibles 2. So this is um, a big move, and uh, it will be disappointing for many fans who uh, love the Pixar shorts in front of it. But I feel like it might be because they're moving the shorts over to another program, uh, the experimental program Spark Shorts, which is being designed to cultivate new creative voices inside and outside of Pixar and has a YouTube channel and is showing some of their shorts in theaters uh, separately. Yeah, but why not put one of those shorts in front of Toy Story 4? Give that filmmaker a much bigger audience than they would have on YouTube or, you know, on Disney Plus. Like, I don't know. I, I just love I love Pixar shorts. Um, I love uh, especially recently how they've been trying to give more diverse filmmakers a shot of telling their stories uh, in this animated medium. And I, I feel like especially putting it in front of these big budget films, I'm sure they're getting a bigger budget than they mm-hmm. would otherwise in like these spark shorts and stuff. Like, I mean, I feel like they could have just put one of these spark shorts. Like, is it, do you think it's that it, like, those are too adult in context to be put in front of like a toy story movie? I mean, possibly I, they don't give an official answer yeah. for it, but um, this is my general theory. And that's poss- possibly one of the things like they're, really honed, uh, doubling down on the experimental nature of Spark Shorts. So it's possible that these are more adult and not really appropriate for the family-friendly audience of Toy Story 4. Um, and perhaps it might be blowback from when they showed the entirety of Olaf's Frozen Adventure in front of Coco and uh, made many kids lose their patience through the emotional climax of that film. So maybe they're just, um, you know, trying to, since they ha- they're such a big powerhouse now they don't need to have these shorts in front of their films anymore now i'm curious chris 
you notoriously just want to get to the get to the film, get the film going. Like, do you dislike Pixar shorts because they, you know, they are a obstacle in the way of you actually seeing the movie? Uh, I don't, I don't dislike them in terms of quality. Like, I, I feel like they can often be quite charming and quite enjoyable, but I hate them in in practice i don't <laughs> i don't want to see them and i love this i like i was actually hesitant to even go see toy story 4 at the theater because like i didn't want to sit through another goddamn short and now that i know <laughs> there isn't one i probably will go see it i just i hate i hate getting there because i don't know, it, it depends on the theater like if i had like a draft house or something near me it probably wouldn't be as bad or as egregious but you know, I, I have nothing but AMC theaters near me. And AMC theaters, first they show like 20 minutes of commercials. And then there's like a 40-minute block of trailers. And by the time that's over, I just want the movie to start. And to sit through that, you know, it's like an hour pre-show. And to sit through that and then have to sit through a goddamn 15-minute short movie, it's like, oh, my God, just show me the movie. I don't want to sit through this. First of all, why are you getting to a movie an hour ahead of time? No, I'm talking. I get there at the time it's supposed to start. Oh. But AMC theaters, they start their pre-show at like if you, you know, oh, this movie starts at 7 p.m. That's when AMC starts playing their trailers and stuff. They don't actually start well, not, playing not the, the movie. pre-show. They start playing the trailers, which is 15 minutes. So if you wanted no, to, no, no, Chris... no. I've, I've <laughs> timed it. I have literally timed it with my phone. There's like a half hour of trailers at AMC theaters. It's insane. Then why not just show a half show up in a, a half hour late? Because then I'll get a bad seat, you know. They don't have a sign seating at your AMC? Some of them do, some of them don't. I hate going to the movies. It's a nightmare. Just give me every movie. I'll watch it at home. See, I always show up late because of the trailer thing, and we you know, write up trailers for a living. But my friend always wants to get there like half an hour early, and he's always very uh, upset when I get there right when the movie starts. It's great for me, but... You know, yes, I can't I can't do that. I like being punctual. I, I make sure I get there at least a half hour early just to get my seat because there's nothing worse than coming in a theater. I hate it. I hate when I'm sitting in the theater and people come in as the movie's starting and they're like climbing over my legs like get here early. What are you doing? I don't doing? care about other people, Chris. It's all about me. <laughs> Uh, pure millennial thought right there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I love getting to the movie theater early and seeing those trailers, and especially trailers of movies I wouldn't otherwise watch online. Like, uh, you know, that what was that movie, A Dog's Purpose or whatever? Like, I loved making fun of that every single time that, you know, that trailer showed in theaters. Um, I don't know. The other thing about the Pixar shorts is, like, they're kind of a palate cleanser. Like, you come in... Chris, from like the the horrible existence of the outside world, and those Pixar shorts kind of like get you in the mood, like kind of like why, why, temper why the can't audience. the movie just get me in the mood? I want to, I want the movie to do that. I don't need a short. I don't need like an appetizer. I want the main course. Yeah, it's funny. Like I, I feel like older movies, like even like in the eighties and nineties, used to have like that opening credit sequence which would have like a song and someone like walking down the street and i feel like that like served the purpose of like a palate cleanser to get you into the thing and now like that's like death right if you, if you have like two minutes of something not happening and there's just credits on screen like people are gonna like walk out of the movie or i guess shut it off when it's on you know hbo or whatever um i don't know i i love these pixar shorts i hope this isn't the end of them theatrically because I feel like 
you know, there's almost nowhere to see short films theatrically. I know every Oscars, like the big cities and AMC will show like the short film packages, but no one's ever at those screenings. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, I, I hope, uh, I hope Disney is not saying an end to this, but, uh, okay, let's move on. Let's talk about A Quiet Place 2. We have now learned a little bit about what this is going to be about. Chris, what do we know? Yeah, um, A Quiet Place 2, the details about just what the film is about have been uh, almost non-existent. You know, we know Emily Blunt and, and the two kids are coming back. Uh, and we know there are new cast members. We know Killian uh, Murphy is in it. And also Brian Tyree Henry, who is a, a great actor who's sort of becoming that guy who's in everything now. He's in Child's Play this month and he's in the Joker movie later this year. And he's also in A Quiet Place too. And he was giving an interview recently and he sort of gave some vague details about what A Quiet Place 2 would be about. And um, he said, uh, I think you're going to get a few answers to the origin of where and how this whole thing happened. So in other words... Uh, you know, the monsters in the movie who are attracted to sound and have wiped out almost, you know, the majority of the world's population. This sequel is going to delve into a little bit more about, you know, how they got here, where they came from and what they are. Um, yeah, like I said, he, he's a little vague about this and I hope it doesn't go too much into the detail because I don't want, I like part of the reason I liked the first movie is that it sort of just opened and, you know, the, the event quote unquote already happened. Like there was no setup. It was just already happening. And I really liked that about the movie. So I personally don't really need an explanation, but we'll see. Although it could be cool to see the event happening, like with mass amounts of people getting mauled by these creatures. Do you know what I mean? Like just get a glimpse of that. Like, I guess, but I, I, I also liked how the first movie was so yeah. intimate. Like, you know, it's like you only see the, like, I don't want to see like a big, well, it could, it could be like an, it could be like an opening sequence, kind of like you know, like to put it in perspective, like the Hawkeye scene in you know Endgame. Like it could just be like a thing to set it up, and then you cut to you know a year later, following an intimate group of people. Uh, one thing I definitely don't want is I don't want to learn much about these monsters. I feel like things are more scary the less you know about them, the more mysterious they are. I know I've talked about that in the past on this podcast like i i feel like even us knowing their weakness from that first movie is probably too much for us to know because now you know we're gonna be like why don't they just do that um hc what are your thoughts on this like how much do you want to know about these monsters i don't want to know anymore i think we already find out almost too much in a quiet place um i yeah i don't i think that the idea of the, like, the family unit surviving against like the, all these very mysterious monsters is much more fascinating and compelling than finding out where these monsters come from because then it would kind of become like any other monster movie franchise. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's talk about uh, something else. Let's talk about uh, the Hunger Games prequel that has been officially announced. It's in the works at Lionsgate and it's going to be based on an upcoming book. HD, what do we know? The Hunger Games author Suzanne Collins announced that she's going to publish a new prequel novel next year, which uh, delves further into her dystopian sci-fi world. And like a Mockingjay's cry calls the rebels to her, <laughs> uh, Lionsgate immediately uh, said that they would be um, uh, looking forward to working with 
Suzanne Collins on a potential film. So we will likely be getting an adaptation of this prequel novel immediately after the publication of it next year. Um, And this novel is a prequel that is set 64 years before the events of The Hunger Games. And um, it is on the morning of 10th annual games. So this is uh, 10 years after the games have first been installed to keep the rest of the district subjugated under the rule of Pan Am. And uh, these games are in which each district is forced to send a boy and a girl to kill each other on national television for the sake of sport. Um, And uh, it will likely deal with uh, something called the Dark Days, which uh, Collins described as the time when the country of Pan Am struggles back to its feet. providing fertile ground for our characters to grapple with these questions and thereby define their views of humanity. So we're only like a few years away from this happening uh, in our own world, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, it's already happening if you really want to argue it. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm wondering, like, you know, I, I, I actually think this could work because the games itself is interesting enough for a new story with a new person and new characters. Uh, like we didn't actually get to see a lot of the games themselves in the movies. Um, maybe because of the budget. I, I feel like a TV show could be, could best be used for like a prequel story like this. But I was wondering what you guys think, like, has there ever been a great prequel movie? I was going to sidestep that by saying that The Hobbit is great. The Hobbit movie is terrible. Or movies are terrible. Um, um, <laughs> oh, go ahead. There's a few. Uh, I really, um, let's see. <laughs> Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. That That's a that's a prequel to the show Twin Peaks. And I think that movie is fantastic. Um, you could even argue that, like, you know, The Godfather Part 2 yeah. is half oh, a prequel. True. That, that so. was what I was going to say, Godfather Part 2. But that's not all a sequel. I feel like... I mean, all a prequel. It's half a sequel and half a prequel. Peter, are you saying that the Star Wars prequels, episode one through three, are not great prequels? You know, I don't hate them as much as everybody else, but they're yes, they are not great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What about Solo, a Star Wars story? I think that's serviceable. I think it's the the, the word, but it's It's fine. Yeah. It's an okay movie. The problem with prequels is you're you're trying to answer all these questions to like mysteries that like or things that were mentioned on the side and, and the original property, and I feel like the answers to those questions are usually not that interesting. Right. Yeah. We, I wonder if uh, X Men First Class counts as a prequel, even though it was kind of a soft reboot of the franchise, because it was good. Um, yeah, you might be right there. That that might qualify as a good prequel. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we're missing stuff. I'm sure there's people yelling out their headphones right now, being like, "You're missing this great prequel." But um, so if we are, send us an email at peter at slash home dot com. We'll mention it on a future episode. But okay, let's move on to our last news story for today, and that is they are making a crazy Eddie movie. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Crazy Eddie was a electronics chain in New York in the the seventies and the eighties. And uh, did, did you grow up watching these commercials? 
I mean, I, I didn't live close enough to New York, but I was somehow aware of it. I don't know how, maybe just through like osmosis. I really don't know, but I, I was aware of it. And uh, I remember seeing the commercials on TV and I was in Massachusetts, which is not close to New York. And I remember well, yeah, they, they, they did actually go to other states. So, yeah. yeah, I guess. So, yeah. So Crazy Eddie became popular really because of two reasons. One is it sold things for outrageous prices because they were breaking the law. And two, they had these really uh, crazy commercials where this guy was just insane and yelling about their great deals. And as it turns out, um, the guy who owned the, the whole, the chain, Eddie Antar is his name, was his name. He's dead now was um, just pulling huge scams and frauds and him and his family were just you know skimming money and breaking the law and it, it's a very long detailed story um but that story is now being turned into a movie by john turtletop who is probably best known for directing national treasure and also the meg but mostly national treasure <laughs> I mean, I, I'd like to see this film from him instead of at least uh, he was making It's a Small World based on the Disneyland attraction. <laughs> so, yes. uh, yeah, a movie based on Crazy Eddie. By the way, do you think there could be a store chain today called Crazy Eddie? I feel like people would not allow that to happen. Maybe like a really small thing <laughs> that people don't know about somewhere, like tucked away in a strip mall in Connecticut. But, yeah, you couldn't have like a big you could not have a big crazy eddie these days <laughs> yeah uh okay let's get to the mailbag let's talk about uh troy h writes in uh i'll, I'll leave the whole email in the show notes because it's, it's pretty long but i'll get to the question he says have you ever watched a movie which on the first viewing was terrible but on subsequent viewings showed it to be much better for me, it was clear and present danger. It was a yawn fest in the cinema, but loved it when I watched it years later on DVD. Um, I'm not sure if there's ever been a movie that I hated and I grew to like, but there's definitely movies I was not, a great, you know, I was not on the same level as everybody else. Like, I, I feel like the Lord of the Rings films, I did not love when they hit theaters, and I eventually rewatched them in their extended editions on dvd and i ended up falling like, i want to say falling in love but i ended up liking appreciating them a lot more in their extended editions than the theatrical versions um the other ones i'm thinking of is um i remember seeing grindhouse in theaters and i remember not liking tarantino's death proof maybe it was it subverted my expectations so much that it was just not what i expected and then I ended up seeing that again, uh, you know, a few weeks later, and I, I ended up liking it more. Um, I'm not saying it's a good Tarantino film, uh, but it, I really dis. No, that is a good example because I really dislike that on the first feeling. Um, and I feel like Chris Nolan films for me tend to get a weird reaction on the first viewing, like uh, the Prestige. When I first saw it, I liked it, but I didn't love it, and I expected to come out of that loving it. And now, you know, I have poster, I have two prestige posters on my wall. It, it's you know up there and probably my top, you know, fifty films of all time. I, I I really love the prestige. It's grown on me in subsequent viewings. Uh, Batman Begins was a movie that I didn't really love when I saw it. Uh, not that I hated it, but I I feel like after seeing The Dark Knight. 
Batman Begins became a better movie for me. And the, the other one I would say, I saw Fargo when I was a teenager. And I saw Fargo. And I didn't really get it. And I watched it a little bit later after my cinematic taste, I think, grew a little bit. And uh, I I now, you know, love the Coen brothers. I love Fargo. I not only love Fargo, but I love, you know, that TV series. Uh, so I want to say I hated Fargo, but I, I just didn't get what the, you know, all the hubbub was about uh, initially. Um, HT, what, what are some films that you didn't love and then eventually grew on you? Uh, the first is a movie that might surprise some people because I rave about this a lot on Twitter, and it's Good Time from the Safdie Brothers starring uh, Robert Pattinson. This is a movie that I watched. Um, it was in 2017. I watched it in theaters, and um, it's a movie that is very discomforting and kind of puts you on edge the entire time, and I did not like that experience. But um, rather than seeing it again, as I got away with, from it and just kind of thought on it more, I grew to really like it and honestly love it, especially for Robert Pattinson's performance. So um, this is a movie that I liked more on rewatch, just just liked more on uh, thinking on it more. And it's really great. You should watch it now on Amazon Prime. Um, and then another one for me is uh, Blade Runner, which I pretty much, yeah, I disliked when I first saw it. Um, and uh, I can't say that another viewing made me like it better but it was watching Blade Runner 2049 that gave me a greater appreciation for Blade Runner and I, I liked more like what it was trying to do and the ambition that it was reaching for once I saw Blade Runner 2049 actually succeed in answering some of the questions that Blade Runner puts forward so that those are two movies for me that I, I didn't really like upon initial rewatch and uh, grew to love more through either other films or just thinking on it more. Yeah, I can definitely see Blade Runner. I think the first time I tried watching that film when I was a kid, I I didn't even get through the whole thing. It kind of bored me. But I, I've grown to kind of love that film as well. Uh, Chris, how about you? What are some films that have grown on you? I mean, the, the biggest one that comes immediately to mind is uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Um, I remember when that came out, there was so much hype around it. You know, it was Stanley Kubrick's last movie. You know, he died right as he finished making it. Um, And it had this really uh, big reputation as being this like risque, super sexual movie. And uh, I don't know if like, cause you know, I was in high school at the time. And so all that was very impressionable on me. And I was, I was like, Oh man, I got to see this thing. And I didn't see it in theater. I saw it on uh, probably like VHS. That's how long ago this was. And I remember when I first watched it, I was like, what the hell is this? Like, I don't understand what was all the hype about. And I don't understand what's happening in this movie. <laughs> and uh, there was a period where I was just like, I never want to see that again. And, uh, you know, I, then I, I, on a whim, sort of, I rewatched it as, you know, a, a much older person. And since then, it's it's actually become, honestly, I think it is my favorite Stanley Kubrick movie. I, I love it. I watch it every year around Christmas time. It's like my, it's my go-to Christmas movie because it's set during Christmas. And it's just this really unique hypnotic dreamlike film that i i absolutely adore now but I, I i can remember when it came out i was just like boy boy do i not like this but i thankfully grew into it that is funny um i i think for me there's a lot of like outside of lord of the rings if you look at the list of films i i listed like i feel like there's a lot of like expectations being subverted and not enjoying that like, I think I feel like I want to know what I'm getting myself into. And if it's not matching up with what I 
think I'm paying for <laughs> um, having a problem with that. So maybe, maybe that's just something with me. Uh, I'm, and, I'm, and the other thing I, I did mention that there's two Chris Nolan films there. Like that might even be a thing that Chris Nolan purposely does, right? Like he's trying to subvert your expectations of what what he's making. Uh, I still haven't revisited Dunkirk. I didn't really like Dunkirk. So I'm wondering if that's going to grow on me. I wonder how seeing Dunkirk outside of the theater would be because Dunkirk, the reason that I think one of the reasons I enjoyed it so much was that theatrical experience. So I wonder if it'll translate as well to a home video viewing. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify. If you have a question for the mailbag, send it to peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow.